This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. What is up, podcast listeners? Welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 83, entitled Paul's Theology on the Relationship Between Jesus and the Spirit, Part 4 of 4. Yes, this will be the final episode in this particular series before we move on to something else. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully we've encouraged you to have those conversations with your friends and family and even your pastor. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I am your host. This is to be the fourth and final installment of our look at how Paul understands the interplay between the person of Jesus and God's Holy Spirit. Paul, no doubt, is complex. Regularly distinguishing Jesus and the Spirit in his letters, but sometimes he seems to overlap them as more or less synonymous of the same experience for believers. Thus far, we have noted that the resurrection of Jesus is the triggering event in Paul's theology to where Jesus and the Holy Spirit overlap in the purposes of God and the new covenant. The risen Jesus enters into fellowship with believers because of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that spirit is described appropriately in these contexts as the spirit of Jesus. The spirit, however, is given to believers by none other than God the Father, according to Paul. So Paul is able to hold in tension the fact that the spirit is God's own spirit, which connects communities of faith to the risen Jesus who is located in heaven. And yet, Paul never once seems to make the shift away from the Jewish understanding of the Spirit being the powerful and personal presence of God to being a conscious third person. This episode will look closely at the remaining Jesus and Holy Spirit text within the letters of Paul. And I've deliberately saved the most complex passages for this moment. Having laid the groundwork in the previous three episodes, we can move forward with some confidence that we have an idea of what Paul is getting at and why he is able to describe Jesus and the Spirit in the manner that he does. My aim is to cover the remaining relevant Pauline passages so that we can get a full scope of how the Apostle understands the relationship between the risen Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I also want to continue to credit James Dunn for giving me some pointers in making sense of Paul's complex theology in this area. But without further ado, let's begin looking at the text of Scripture. 
Our first point today is looking at the interplay between the resurrected Jesus and the Spirit in the future resurrection. So we're looking at the future resurrection and how Jesus and the Spirit overlap, interplay, and connect in that particular event. So we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 45. I will start in verse 42. Paul says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. That again is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 45. And so the comment at the end of this passage indicates that the resurrected Jesus, who is the last Adam, is in some sense the life-giving spirit. That again is 1 Corinthians 15, 45, where Jesus, the last Adam, is described in some sense as the life-giving spirit. Now Paul contrasts two different bodies in this passage. One, identified with the first human being, Adam, and the other, identified with the last human being, Jesus. The initial body is likened unto Adam, and it's a soulish body, translated in my version as a natural body, but more literally it's a soulish body, that is a body energized by soul, while the spiritual body is a body that is energized by Holy Spirit. This spirit is described with a variety of helpful metaphors in this passage. This spirit-empowered body is a body that is imperishable. It is a body that is glorious. And it is a body that is raised in power. So, turning to the risen Jesus, who is described by Paul in his resurrected state as a human being, quote, the last Adam, end quote. In what way can we make sense of this phrase, life-giving spirit? This phrase indicates that the spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives life. And in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, the life given is resurrection life. Two, imperishable immortality. Now Paul comments elsewhere about the life-giving spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul contrasts the letter of the Old Covenant with the spirit of the New Covenant by saying, not the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but, here's our point, the spirit gives life. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 3.6, where Paul says, again, more clearly, that the Spirit gives life. 
We can also see the fourth gospel make a similar comment. Jesus speaking in John 6.63, he says, It is the Spirit that gives life. So the Holy Spirit is what gives life. And Paul, in the context of resurrection bodies likened unto Jesus' exalted state, links Jesus with the life-giving spirit in our passage 1 Corinthians 15:45 since the risen Jesus is still a human being according to Paul it seems unlikely that Paul is ontologically equating the human Jesus with God's holy spirit as if there is an equal sign that Jesus is one to one equal with the holy spirit more likely it is that the resurrected, imperishable body, likened unto Jesus, who, by the way, is the firstfruits of the resurrection, will be made possible by the life-giving Spirit. I'm going to say that again. The resurrected, imperishable body, likened unto Jesus, will be made possible by the life-giving Spirit. So the Spirit is linked with the risen Jesus and overlapping might be the best word to describe their functions. Just as the body that everyone is born with is likened unto Adam, the resurrection body to be given at the general resurrection is likened unto the risen Jesus. And that resurrection will occur because of the life-giving Holy Spirit. In other words, the dead will be made alive by the life-giving Spirit in conformity with the resurrected Jesus. I think this is best how we can comprehend and grasp what Paul is saying when he says that the last Adam, Jesus, is the life-giving Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Our second point today is looking at Paul's different ways of describing the Holy Spirit that indwells believers. Very famous passage in Romans chapter 8, where Paul seems to give a variety of synonymous phrases that describe the experience of the Christian community. Let's look at this passage. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. It is generally recognized that Paul gives synonymous and successive descriptions of what Christians experience with the indwelling of the Spirit among them within this particular passage. In verse 9, Paul describes this experience as the Spirit of God. 
while immediately following up by calling it the Spirit of Christ. Moreover, in verse 10, Paul can describe the previously mentioned Spirit of Christ as simply Christ in you. Then, in verse 11, he gives another synonym. He calls it the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, clearly referring to God the Father. God the Father is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. So the Spirit of God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So we have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, Christ, and the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, all referring to the same experience of the indwelling presence. Now Paul can make these sort of statements because the Holy Spirit is the Father's own extended power and presence that connects believers with the risen Jesus. The Jesus who, by the way, is located in heaven. In other words, God's Holy Spirit is the medium of union between the risen Jesus and Christians on earth. So Paul can say, for example, that Christ is among the believers because the Spirit connects them to Christ. And this Spirit is ultimately God's own Spirit. This seems, in my humble opinion, to make the best sense of Paul's theology of the risen Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at another passage where Paul seems to give synonymous descriptions of the Christian experience involving the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. That is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. This passage is similar to our previous section of Scripture in Romans 8. Here, Paul gives three equivalent expressions to describe the source of the varied charismatic gifts. Paul describes this as the same Spirit, the same Lord, and he's almost certainly referring to the Lord Jesus, and the same God. From Paul's perspective, God, Jesus, and the Spirit are all involved in the gifting of believers. God himself invests his personal and powerful Spirit into the believing community. And this believing community collectively functions as the body of Christ. In other words, Christians can describe the source of their empowerment in a variety of ways because the Spirit is what unites the community of faith to Jesus, and the Spirit is God's own Spirit, primarily belonging to the Father. Our third point today is looking at how the Holy Spirit connects the members of the body of Christ to the risen Jesus. I'm going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 
I'm going to start in verse 15 to kind of get some context of the passage you want to look at. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 17. In this passage, Paul contrasts two different unions, two different connecting relationships, two different ways of having fellowship, one might say. The union of one who joins himself with a prostitute, resulting in what Paul calls one body, and the union of one who joins himself to the risen Lord Jesus, resulting in one spirit. This spirit that connects believers to Christ is none other than the Holy Spirit, which Paul later describes as that which dwells among the believing community as the temple of God. Paul says that at the end of the passage, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So this passage, where the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him, 1 Corinthians 6.17, is just another passage indicating what we already know to be true. Namely, that Jesus remains in heaven, but nevertheless enters into fellowship with believers on earth through the medium of the Holy Spirit. So, in conclusion, we have observed that Paul's theology of the interaction between the risen Jesus and the Holy Spirit is complex and often underappreciated by casual readers of Scripture. However, after examining carefully all of the passages where Paul describes the overlapping functions of Jesus and the Spirit, we are left with some keys to making sense of this theologically rich experience. First, we noted that the Holy Spirit gives life to mortal bodies and will one day raise the dead to be like Jesus' exalted and imperishable body. So there's an overlap between the risen Jesus, who is the first fruits of those who sleep, and the Spirit that will give life to believers in order to conform them to the body that Jesus already possesses. Second, we saw that from the perspective of the believing community's experience, the indwelling Holy Spirit is more or less synonymous with Christ dwelling among the church, since the Spirit brings believers into fellowship with Jesus, who again is located in heaven. While Paul regularly distinguishes Christ and the Spirit within his letters, on a few rare occasions, he portrays them as overlapping influences in the lives of the believing communities. Lastly, 
we observe that the body of Christ, upon joining themselves to Jesus the head, are of one spirit with him. Further clarifying the nature of fellowship between Jesus and believers as a result of the Holy Spirit. For Paul, the relationship between Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God is that the Spirit is the medium that brings union between the risen Jesus and those who put their faith in him. Having examined all the passages where Paul mentions the interplay between Jesus and the Spirit, there is no reason to conclude that Paul regarded the Spirit as a conscious third person alongside the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit for Paul is God's personal and powerful presence now connecting believers in fellowship to the risen and exalted Jesus. And that Jesus, as a reminder, is still a human being in his exalted state. If you would like to support the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. And if you are a regular listener to the show, thank you so much for following us and for listening. If this is your first time, welcome to the show, and be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes. I'm excited to look forward to some future episodes. We're going to turn to looking at angels within the Old and New Testaments and noting how angels represent God and sometimes Jesus to other people. So our hope is to look at the subject of angels in a variety of passages over a variety of episodes in order to better understand God and Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, you folks take care.